Brother Heinz, can you tell us when to start? Uh, wait a while. It's have a problem with the live one. Okay, okay, sure. So, um... Okay, you can start in one minute. You can start now. Okay. Hello and welcome all to our Buddhist Fellowship Facebook page. Thank you all for coming along to this talk. Today we are very honoured and grateful to have with us Bhante Buddha Rakita, who took time away from his busy schedule to give us a talk all the way from Uganda. A very warm welcome to Bhante. Um, uh, Bhante, you want to uh, say um, uh, uh, some words uh, to our listeners before I read your bio? Yes, yes. So thank you very much for inviting me and hosting me to uh, share the Dhamma with you. And I know this is a very difficult time uh, of COVID-19 pandemic with lockdown and curfews. Um, but you have also taken uh, off your time to listen to the Dhamma, the food of the mind. So I'm so happy to see you. Uh, greetings from the Uganda Wood Center, uh, all our Buddhist community in Uganda. Uh, send their best wishes for your good health, and uh, may you be well, happy, and peaceful. Thank you, Bante. And uh, for the benefit of the listeners who do not uh, are not familiar with Bante, uh, let me offer a short bio. Uh, Venerable Bante Buddha Rakita was born in Uganda, Africa. He first encountered Buddhism in 1990 while studying and living in India. He was ordained as a Buddhist monk by the late. Venerable Yu Silananda in 2002 at the Tathagata Meditation Center in San Jose, California. He then spent eight years under the guidance of Bhante Gunaratana, or Bhante Ji as we all fondly know him as, at the Bhavana Society in West Virginia. Bhante Buddha Rakita is the founder and abbot of the Uganda Buddhist Center. Besides spending time at the UBC, he is a visiting professor at the Union Theological Seminary in New York City and the spiritual director of Radiance Retreat Center in Mississippi. He is a long-time member of the Global Buddhist Relief Advisory Council in New Jersey. He has been teaching mindfulness meditation in Africa, the US and worldwide since 2005 and is a much-loved teacher in many countries and has also written a book called Planting Dharma Seeds, The Emergence of Buddhism in Africa. I think, Bhante, what is striking is you never gave up searching for the truth, including spending many years in India and learning from many teachers, and then after that, dedicating your life to helping people tirelessly. I think we can all learn from that. So without further delay, Bhante, may I now invite Bhante to lead us in the chanting and do give us the three refuges and the five precepts. Okay. okay, so now I'm going to lead you in the, uh, the, 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 the three refuges and the five precepts. Eh? Now we are going to say Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddham saranam gachami. 
Dhammang saranang gachami. Sangam saranang gachami. Sangam saranang gachami. Dutiampi buddham saranang gachami. Dutiampi buddham saranang gachami. Dutiampi dhammang saranang gachami. Dutiampi dhammang saranang gachami. Dutiampi sangam saranang gachami. Dutiampi sangam saranang gachami. Tatiampi buddham saranang gachami. Tatiampi buddham saranang gachami. Tatiampi dhammam saranang gachami. Tatiampi dhammam saranang gachami. Tatiampi sangam saranang gachami. Tatiampi sangam saranang gachami. Saranang gamana sampuna ise amabante. Amabante. Panatipata weramani sikapadam samadhyami. Panatipata veramani sikapadam samadhyami. Adinadana weramani sikapadam samadhyami. Adinadana veramani sikapadam samadhyami. Kame sumichachara veramani sikapadam samadhyami. Kame sumichachara veramani sikapadam samadhyami. Musavada veramani sikapadam samadhyami. Musavada veramani sikapadam samadhyami. Sura Meraya Majapamadatana Weramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Sura Meraya Majapamadatana Weramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Tisaranena Sadimu Panchasira Dhamma Sadukam Surakitam Katwa Apamadena sampade tabba. Amabante sadu. Sirena sugatiyanti. Sirena boga sampada. Sirena nibutiyanti. Tasima silam visudaye. Sesadu sadu. Thank you, Bante. Welcome. Yes. Thank you, Bante. And uh, mm. now, uh, may I invite Bante to give us the talk on good, bad, how to know. Bante, over to you. Yes. Yes, thank you very much uh, for the wonderful introduction. Today, I'm going to give a Dhamma talk on good, bad, uh, how to know. I read the book about... Ajahn Brahm, uh, it's a good, bad, who knows? So I thought of giving a talk on how to know. When I talk about good and bad, I'm not talking about apples, actually. Bad apples, good apples. 
Here I'm talking about behaviors. Behaviors, uh, bad behaviors, good behaviors, how to know. One is behaviors, the behaviors of others, and the behavior of both. So it's uh, physical behaviors, uh, it's uh, verbal behaviors, it's mental behaviors. How do we know these behaviors? Given our culture, tradition, different countries have different cultures. What's good in Uganda, it may not be good in India. So we see different cultures affecting how we evaluate ethically what's good and bad. The good news is that we don't have to be confused depending on where we live. There is the teaching the Buddha gave how to really find out how to find the measurement, what's good and bad. We can look at these words as kusala, akusala. Akusala is unwholesome, kusala is wholesome. In other words, kusala would be universal goodness. Literally, I would say, uh, what's good, what's kusala in Uganda is kusala in Singapore and everywhere. So this is universal goodness, I'm putting universal. And also a kusala, which is bad, uh, what most people say bad behaviors, would say a kusala, unwholesome, unskillful. So what's unskillful in Uganda also will be unskillful in Singapore or in India or everywhere. So that's why I like Buddha's teaching that it's, it's really have a psychological basis where you can decide for yourself and uh, use your judicious, not being judgmental, but being judicious about what's the behavior, what's the behavior. So this is the talk today um, to see and uh, find out for ourselves having the criteria the Buddha used to find out what's good bad, in other words, what's skillful and unskillful, and how normal. So I'm going to start with uh, what you call authorities. So in this talk, I'm going to talk about four ways actually of determining what's good, bad, what's oh, skillful, unskillful. There are four ways. Uh, one is authority, using authority, the three kinds of authority that I'm going to discuss. Another one, we are going to look at the motivation. What's the motivation behind our behavior or behavior of others? We look at motivation. Also, we are going to look at the third way, which is uh, uh, the consequences. What's the consequences of actions? And then we're going to look at uh, universal or generalization principle, whether in general this is acceptable or not, right? in a general way. So I'll start with the first one, which is called authority. We find this in uh, Anguttara Nikaya. Anguttara Nikaya. Uh, you can find it on page, page uh, 242, Anguttara Nikaya. This book. I'll show you this book. Those who are not familiar with this book. So go to page 242. And the heading there is authorities. So that the Buddha gave three kinds of authorities. 
that we can know whether this is unwholesome or wholesome, whether this is good or bad, and that's how we're going to know. The first authority is called self-authority. Self-authority. In Pali, we call it atadipateya. This is self. In other words, this is a, a, what we call maybe inner voice. What's the inner voice inside you? What does it say? Yes. So everybody has this ability. This is not something is supernatural, but everybody has this ability to know whether this, what they're doing is good or not, without it, not even being told by the outsiders. In English, it's called con- con- conscience, Somebody, someone's conscience. So the inner voice that tells us, okay, no, don't do this, don't do this. For me, it's amazing that even children, they know this. Children, they know that uh, what I'm doing is not good, but not, of course, the youngest children, but when somebody is about, uh, about, let's say, eight years, 10 years, I don't know exactly what age it starts, but it's amazing that they know that what I'm doing is not very good. I remember one time uh, I was going down down our road. We have a borehole, and I found one young adult pumping the borehole very, very hard to the extent of breaking. So, but as soon as I saw, uh, when it, she saw me actually behind, she stopped pumping it and started pumping softly. That means she knew that this is not good, and then she started pumping it slowly uh, to get water from the borehole. In my experience in Uganda here, uh, most people, they know this. They know this. What I'm doing is not good. They may not even be Buddhist, but they can really tell what I'm doing is not right. What I'm doing is wrong. This is very, very common. So check in your experience. What things have you decided for yourself? Yourself, either inner voice. You can tune in. And if you don't listen to it, then it will claim, oh, my friend, but you're doing this, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and sometimes there might even be a conflict there. So atta dipateam, the self-authority, is very, very very, very important to decide whether it's good or bad. Then uh, the next authority is called loka dipatea. Loka means the world. The world, uh, that means the wise people in the world. The world is having some wise people, might be spiritual people, religious people, Brahmins, ascetics. The sutta talks about uh, ascetics who have psychic powers. They will know what you are doing. This is uh, something very interesting because when I was a young person, born as a Roman Catholic, they used to tell me, oh, don't do this. God is seeing you, has big eyes wherever you go. Even if you lock yourself in a room, God will see you, has big eyes. I really believe that there's big eyes there somewhere up in heaven. 
that is seeing exactly what I'm doing. But what's very interesting, you also need Buddhist scriptures. I'm going to read uh, straight away from the Buddhist scriptures, actually, where the Buddha is talking about, I'm just quoting the book, the, I'm going to quote the book, and what becomes is the world as one's authority. Here, having gone to the forest, to the foot of tree, to an empty heart, and so on, and uh, the person reflects, I'm a must in birth, old age, and death. Perhaps an ending of this entire mass of suffering can be discerned. As one who has gone forth from the household life, in, uh, uh, household life into homeless life, I might think uh, unwholesome thoughts, like sensual thoughts, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of harming, but the abode of the world, this is very interesting. The Buddha is talking about that in this world, hmm, there are wise people. Hmm, but the abode of the world is vast. In the vast abode of the world, there are ascetics and brahmins with the psychic potence and divine eye who know the minds of others. They see things from a distance, but they are not themselves seen even when you are close. They know the minds of others with their own mind. They would know me thus. Look, this, look at this clansman. Though he has gone forth from, home, from household life to homeless, out of faith, he is tarnished by bad and wholesome states, Akusana. There are deities too with psychic potence and divine eye who know the minds of others. They see even from the distance, but are not seen themselves even when close to us. They too know the minds of others with their own mind. They too would know me thus. Look at this landsman. Uh, though he has gone forth from uh, from from homeless life, I mean from household life to homeless, out of uh, homelessness, out of faith, is tarnished by Akusala, by unwholesome faith state. So the person then would reflect, he then reflects thus, energy will be aroused in me without slacking, madness will be established without confusion, my body will be tranquil without disturbance, my mind will be concentrated and one-pointed. Having taken the world as his authority or her authority, he abandons unwholesome and skillful states of mind and develops wholesome. He abandons what's blameworthy and develops what is blameless. He maintains or she maintains herself or himself in purity. This is called the world as one of the authority. So this is very interesting that it might be parallel to what I thought when I was young that God is seeing me everywhere, then I should not do any, and I should not break any commandment. So, but here in Buddhism, of course, uh, it's not about God seeing you, but it talks about these kind of deities and Brahman, Brahmins and ascetics that uh, they have a capacity to read one's mind. So there's no need to create fear that there are people around us reading our minds. But uh, you know that uh, in this society, there are wise people who are practicing Dhamma, meditation. They might point out that, okay, this is not good, and this is not 
uh, right or wrong. They would tell us, you know. So now I used to practice meditation in, in Burma. There's a teacher called Saido Pandita. And uh, he's a, he passed away at the age of, I think, 1996. I don't remember exactly. But he had been in meditation for such a long time. He was very uh, good at teaching mindfulness, the foundation of mindfulness. So I used to go for my interview there. As soon as I entered the room to, to report about my meditation, I meditated there for two months in 19... It was 2000, actually, three, 2003. So... When I sat there with him in the room for the interview, I just felt that this monk knows exactly how I've been practicing meditation, you know, because he was very quiet and very well uh, practiced. So this is called Loka Dipatea, wise people who can know uh, what is going on so they can decide. Now, we can extend it to authorities in the countries we have authorities law enforcement authorities they can tell us what you're going doing is not good or it's not right it's, it's wholesome and unwholesome skillful and skillful this reminds me uh, when I came back to Uganda uh, one time and I was uh, sitting in a car and um, a, a taxi driver told me uh, because he saw me actually putting on a seat, seat, seat belt. He asked me, why are you sit, putting on a seat belt? I told him, yeah, because uh, I want to be safe. He said, no, don't put it on. I said, why? He told me, no, there's no policeman. So, in other words, there's no somebody who's going to judge you. <laughs> so then you put it on. So that means this driver knows that there's still the world the police people who are going to tell that what you're doing is not good. Sitting, putting on a sitting, uh, sit, putting on seat belt is good, and not putting on seat belt is not good. It's very bad. So this driver knew that there's a world that is going to judge this. But of course, safety is very important. I had to put it on the seat belt. In Uganda, it's very common. Uh, you can get out with the, uh, not putting on a seatbelt, not as in Europe, in other countries or even Singapore. So now this is what we call world authority, which has wise people who can point out this. Even uh, in the sutta called uh, Metta Sutta, uh, there's a phrase there which, which, which says that Nachakudam Samachale Kinchi and so not to do anything uh, small, uh, which the wise people can censure, can uh, really uh, criticize that you are doing something wrong. So the sutta talks about not to, do, to, not to do any slight, slightest wrong that the wise can censure. So now uh, that's world authority. And uh, we go to the next one. It's called Dhamma authority. Dhamma authority, the Pali word is called Dhamma Dhammadipatayam, uh, which means the Dhamma authority. Actually, uh, when you, we, call, we look at the Dhamma, is the final authority because sometimes our inner voice may not be able to guide us how to know what's good and bad. It 
Sometimes it does, but not all the time. We might miss some information, some elements. And even the world authorities may not be based on, on laws of Dharma. It may be just civil laws, and, uh, which is created by human beings, you know. <laughs> yes, on one time they can, and at one time they can be even contradictory. contradictory. And who knows about uh, those ascetics, you know, they may be far from us and we may not even recognize that they are. But Dharma is, I think, the best authority to decide for ourselves whether what we're doing is bad or good. And uh, of course, we all know about the Dharma, the six qualities of Dharma, we chant it all the time. Hmm? Six qualities of the Dharma were expanded by the, the, the blessed one. Hmm? The Dharma is well ex- expanded by the blessed one. That means uh, excellent in the, in the beginning, in the middle, and the end, Sila. That's Sila, Samadhi, and Panya. So now our behavior should be in accord to the ethics, um, according to the Dharma. We should not diverge. When we diverge from Dharma, then we do a Dharma. And then we, whatever we are doing is going to be unskillful. But when we do our behaviors, bodily, verbal, and mental behaviors, when they are in accordance to the Dharma, then uh, they are skillful, they are wholesome, they are universally good. Yes, of course, we talk about uh, the five precepts. You, You live your life according to the five precepts, the one you have just taken. You live your life according to number eight for path right understanding, right thoughts, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So we mold our life uh, towards the Dharma, towards the Four Noble Truth. All this uh, teaching of the Buddha that he gave is to guide our life for our good so that we do more good, we do more wholesome, we increase more wholesome and decrease uh, uh, unwholesome behaviors. So this is actually a very, very good, good guidelines. According to the, the, these qualities of the Dharma, according to the Buddha, we look at uh, the Dharma that is directly visible, not only excellent in the beginning, in the middle and the end, but also directly visible. Uh, calling one and come and see. Mm-hmm. Come and see, it's an invitation. Leading onwards, hmm? leading onwards to be personally experienced. Hmm? So it can be experienced, it's applicable, and it can be experienced by the wise. In other words, those are willing to learn. So many times we, we chant this one Swakato, Vagato, Dhamma, Sandi, Tiko, Akariko, Pasiko, Opanaiko. So these are the qualities of the Dharma that we need to really follow and mold our behavior. Then we can know what's bad and good. So we can decide also based on Dharma. Now that's the first point on the the criteria that we're going to use. Okay, what's good and bad. Then we go to the second one, which is a uh, which is motivation. What's the motivation behind what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Motivation. There's a discourse which is called 
Bahitika Sutta. Uh, it's in one book which is called Majimanika, this book, Majimanika. Right? It's a discourse that really give us criteria of of what's bad and good. Yeah, in English, is called The Clock, and uh, it's a discourse, uh, Madmanika uh, 88, page seven, 723. In this discourse, in this discourse uh, the Buddha clearly mentioned about many criteria, actually, of uh, knowing what's good, what's bad, I would just want to read just directly from the sutta. Not the whole sutta, but actually part of it so that you can uh, get a flavor of it. Uh, so now, Venevananda, I'm just, I'll start somewhere in the middle. Now, Venevananda, what kind of bod- bodily b- behaviors is essential by the wise? Again, that's also part of the uh, local departure. Because this sutta gives actually many criteria, including the, uh, the, the the motivation, right? Gives also the motivation. It gives also the the consequences, which I will talk about. So uh, many many criteria. So let me read it now. Benavananda, what kind of bodily behavior is censured by the wise lepers and brahmins? Any bodily behavior that is unwholesome, great king. Now, Venevananda, what kind of bodily behavior is unwholesome? Any bodily behavior that's blameworthy by the king. So anything that is blameworthy is bad. In other words, is, uh, is uh, unskillful. Of course, the opposite, blameless, is wholesome, is good. Now, Venevananda, what kind of uh, bodily behavior is blame, blameworthy? Any bodily behavior that brings affliction, Great King. Now this is talking about the consequence, which I'll talk us about. So now, Venerable Ananda, what kind of bodily behavior brings affliction? Any bodily behavior that has painful results, Great King, is what we, uh, we talk about as a bodily behavior that brings affliction. Now, Venerable Ananda, what kind of bodily behavior has painful results? The answer is any bodily behavior, great king, that leads to an, uh, one's own affliction, to the affliction of others, or to the affliction of both. And on account of which unwholesome states increases and unwholesome states diminish. Such bodily behavior is censured by the wise and Brahmin's great king. Now, Venemananda, what kind of verbal behavior is censured by the wise, uh, and and, uh, and Brahmins? Now, it, it talks about any verbal behavior that's unwholesome. So it keeps on going and going and going. And, uh, the, uh, of course, going through all bodily behavior, verbal behavior, mental behaviors. So we look at uh, now what kind of... Uh, these unwholesome behaviors. We can look at them uh, in many ways, uh, looking at whether they are bringing affliction to oneself 
others are both. So this is actually what we call consequential principle, which is the third criteria. The third criteria is called consequential. Now that we look at the results, and the, this, the, top, the sutta talks about any bodily, you can substitute verbal, mental, great king, that does not lead to one's own affliction or to the affliction of others or to the affliction of both. And on account of which unwholesome states diminish and wholesome states increases. Such bodily behavior, as, as I say, you can put verbal, mental, great king, is unnatural by the wise and Brahmins. So the sutta goes on and on. You can read it and you find various criteria there. The whole sutta really, really pretty much summarizes it. But what I want to do in my talk is to break it apart, uh, talking about the motivation. What's the motivation behind the action? So this we look at the karmic consequences. And the sutta is talking about the, the, the karmic consequences also. Right? What's um, behind this activity if it has these consequences? So when we look at the motivation behind our actions, we look at whether they are motivated by greed, hatred, delusion, or fear. So then when we know that that's the motivation, then that's unwholesome, that's bad, universal badness. And if the motivation is the opposite, which is generosity and greed, loving kindness, which is the opposite of ill will. We look at uh, the motivation whether it's confusion, uh, we look at those motivations. Huh? So now on one side, which is wholesome, we can look at the motivation as generous, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, and courage. On the on one side of Akusala, we, we, we can see what's called greed, hatred, delusion, and fear. So there's one discourse in, in uh, Diganikaya, which is called Sanjit Sutta, Sanjit Sutta, which talks about the four ways of Goron. When you look at uh, that Sutta, it's in, in a book called Majimanik, uh, it's called uh, Diganikaya, the long discourses of the Buddha. Uh, I, I have it here, but I'm sure you have it also. So in this uh, long discourses of the Buddha, there's one sutta towards the end, it's called Sangita Sutta, the chanting sutta. The Buddha there mentioned about the four ways of going wrong. The four ways of going wrong, that's a, the criteria we can know that, okay, I'm going wrong. One, you can look at the behaviors, whether your behavior is based on greed, hatred, delusion, and fear. And of course, the, the four ways of going right, in other words, doing what's good, is to proceed with that template of, of uh, uh, the opposite of greed, which is non-greed, generosity, letting go. Then uh, going right also is you have love, kindness, and compassion. Then you have wisdom and understanding. Then you have courage. So this is what the Buddha talks about. Uh, the four ways of going wrong and the four ways of going right. This similar sutta is re repeated in Anguttara Nikaya also, 
yes, uh, that shows that it's very, very important to have that guideline in, one in one's life to know whether you're on the right track or not. These are the criteria. And people for me challenge me in Uganda. Whenever I teach people, they say, well, you Buddhists, you don't believe in God. How do you know that you're going right or wrong? What, how do you know that, that this is bad or good? Because for them, they say, well, God told us this is good, this is bad. But for you, who tells you that? So for me, I teach them that, okay, for us, we, we have this psycho, psychological states of mind that can guide us. Right? We can see for ourselves our motivation behind doing something. But of course, uh, somebody who, who, who is enlightened would be able to make these courses of action, you know. Though we are not yet enlightened, but still we can use that template. And we know that our behaviors are motivated by this. Whether they are skillful or not skillful, we will know for ourselves, you know. Yes, because you should, somebody who really, uh, whose behavior is always motivated by generosity, uh, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, and understanding and courage, that person might be way up there on the ladder of enlightenment. You know? But for us, as our, uh, like uh, in this world, uh, with all its issues, problems, and uh, we are not yet fully enlightened or yet enlightened, we are still practicing. So we should have that template to really know for ourselves what we are doing. For ourselves, what we are doing, whether it's bad or good, based on the motivation behind. You know? Then the third one is uh, the consequences. Is what we are doing going to lead to the happiness of, of oneself, the happiness of others, the happiness of both? Because it has to be both. There must be a combination because many times we do something and it's for our happiness but not the happiness of others. Then there has to be a combination. So when something is done, we look at the consequence. What are the consequences? That would be skillful. That would be wholesome. That would be good if it's fitting in that template of doing something for the, for the benefit and welfare, for the happiness of oneself, others, and both. But if we, we, we are doing something that leads to the affliction, as it's by Hitika Sutta say, leading to the affliction of ourselves, others, and both leading to painful results, even long-term painful results for oneself, others, and both, then that's definitely bad, that's evil, that's unwholesome, that's akusala. So this is how we know that kind of distinction. We look at it. But there is a, an English saying which says that the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. Well, this may not work in Buddhism because for us the, the, the means, which is the motivation behind doing something, justifies our as important as the, the results, in other words, whether what we are doing, uh, whether it's leading to happiness or to the suffering of oneself, others, and both. So, in other words, in Buddhism, uh, we cannot say the end justifies the means. No, no, no. We can say both the means and the ends must be wholesome, must be skillful, must be good, 
in order to proceed in life. So now uh, we are going to continue on with the, the last uh, way on of knowing what, whether what we are doing is good or bad is generalization principle. In life, there's some principles that are general when it comes to behaviors. It can be termed as golden rule or silver rule, silver. Hmm? Silver being negative and golden rule being positive. In other words, golden rule say that do to others what you want to do to yourself. Right? Do to others what you want to do to yourself. So if you do to others what you want to do to yourself, you find that most of us in general we want to do something good for ourselves. Right? We want to do something good for ourselves. So that's a silver rule, and you find it in all religions, actually. You find it in all religions. You do to others what you want to do to yourself. Always I end some chanting here. Every time I read meditation here at the Uganda Buddha Center, uh, always and I end up chanting like this. Atupamaya sape sam satanam suko kamato which translates like this, having seen that all being, beings like oneself have a desire for happiness, one develops loving kindness for all, methodically develops loving kindness for all beings. So when you practice metta, may I be well, happy and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy and peaceful. So you put yourself in the shoes of others because all beings want to be happy. They don't want to suffer including an insect. It's very interesting. An insect, when it's walking, is walking, and you put a stick, it doesn't want to suffer. It wants to be happy. I mean, how much consciousness this insect has, actually? It really baffles me how a small insect really backs off once it sees an obstacle. It doesn't go over the barrier. It goes back. So this is a common denominator everybody in the world. Nobody wakes up in the morning, oh, I want to be, I don't want to be happy. I just want to, to, to suffer. No. So everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants goodness, to do good. So once you realize that you want good things, you want good behavior. So you, you cultivate good behaviors. Since you want to do good things to others, Right? You, what you do to yourself, you should do to others. This is called golden rule. The silver rule will be the opposite of that, which is in, in, in negative sen- form. Negative form, don't do uh, anything to others what you don't want to do to yourself. So in other words, once you, you have that criteria, then you know, okay, this is very bad. I don't want to do it to myself then I shouldn't do it to others. So that will actually model your behaviors, these kind of generalization principles universally. Everybody mm, uh, has this, uh, really, always people want to do good things to themselves. They don't want to do bad things to themselves. But of course, later on in, in people's lives, something uh, happened. They face a lot of difficulties in their life and they find people who do self-harm. But that's when somebody has some issues in life. But a normal person, they always do 
good uh, to themselves and they will not harm themselves. And once we use that as a general principles, then we can see we are always going to distinguish between oh, these good things and these bad things. I'm going to do good things. I'm not going to do bad things to others, to oneself and both. So today we have dis, uh, discussed four ways uh, of knowing good, bad, or skillful, unskillful, or wholesome or unwholesome. All those criteria uh, fit into what I've talked about to distinguish, to distinguish between what's skillful, unskillful, wholesome, unwholesome, good or bad. How to know? Four ways I've discussed. One of them is, uh, is uh, authority. The Buddha talks about three kinds of authority. Self-authority, atadipatea. Uh, then there's world authority. That's the, in the world, the wise people who will blame you. And of course, if they blame you when you do bad things, but if they're praising you, that means that you're doing some, something good. You know? There are people in the world, wise people. You can extend it to, to law enforcement authorities who can decide for you. But again, uh, of course, that's not so reliable. The best way is the combination of self and the world, and then put the Dharma ultimately as one's guide, whereby we have uh, six qualities of the Dharma. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Dharma will expanded by the Buddha, the blessed one. Mm -hmm. Excellent in the middle, in the, in the beginning, middle, and the end. Mm -hmm. It's well expanded. And so other, so other qualities of Dharma, you know, already. So there's also other uh, criteria, the second one, which is motivation. Are you motivated by greed, hatred, and delusion, and fear? Or are you motivated by their opposites, which is generosity, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, and understanding, courage? This is very, very important to look at the motivation behind. Then... Of course, that's how the Buddha taught the uh, karma. You know, you know, the karmic, uh, the karma, the intention. What's your intention behind doing uh, something? Then we talked about also the consequences, the vipaka, right, or the, the 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 results of your action. Are they leading to affliction of oneself, others, and both? Or are they leading to happiness for oneself, others, and both? This is very, very important criteria. We can look always at our results. But of course, uh, it's very, very important to remember that sometimes our results might uh, be good or, and our motivation may not be good. And the other around, actually, our, our motivation might be good and the results are not so good. So we have always to connect the results and the, uh, the, the motivation. Uh, in daily life, it's very, very important that we don't really just justify that simply because your motivation was very good and you say, no, no, I didn't intend to do it actually. No, 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 no. But uh, there's that kind of denial, you know, you did something, the intention was good, but the results, we are not good, and then you say, oh, no, no, don't, don't worry about the results. After all, I have good motivation. So I advise people to look at what you call intention and impact. Okay, the intention was good, but the impact you can acknowledge. Okay, my friend, 
uh, my motivation was very good to do this, but this is how it impacted you. These were the results, but please either forgive me or whatever. So it's very common in good circles, people to justify their intention. Oh, I did it out of generosity, out of compassion, and all these things. But the results are, may be painful in, in some ways, and people don't want to acknowledge the impacts. I, I advise people to re, always to acknowledge that, okay, the intention were pure, the impact might impact you in a different way that I didn't intend, but yes, I acknowledge the pain that has come. Please forgive me. So that's another uh, criteria. And finally, I talked about the fourth criteria, which is called generalization principle. Uh, in the universal principle that are uh, always uh, available in terms of uh, considering uh, putting oneself in other people's shoes, you know. Yes, we talked about golden principle, golden rule. We talked about silver rule. Golden rule being the positive side. Talk uh, really uh, considering doing what you want to do to others must be good. Right? Must be good because you want to do good to yourself. So that's positive. So you do good things to others. What you want to do to yourself? Hmm? Do good on others as you want to do to yourself. And the silver rule is negative. Is stated in the negative sense: don't do bad things to others that you don't want to do to yourself. With that, I conclude this talk on good, bad, how to know. Thank you very much for listening. I offer this for your reflection and please read these suttas uh, that I've uh, talked about, Sangeet Sutta. I've talked about Bahitika Sutta in Madhimanikaya and uh, uh, other suttas that I talked about that are very helpful to really have this distinction and that the Buddha gave in Buddhism. Thank you very much. May you be well, happy, and peaceful. Thank you, Bhante. That was a fantastic talk. Can we all say sadhu three times? Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And now, Bhante, may I now invite Bhante to uh, answer the questions from the listeners? Uh, yes. Uh, the first question is, uh, Pante, why is it so difficult to forgive bad people who have intention to hurt us deeply? We find it difficult to let go of the hatred, even though we do not want to cling to it. How can mindfulness meditation guide us to reduce or manage the hatred? Thank you, Pante. Mm, all right. It's very difficult to forgive. Mm -hmm and let go hatred. And the way to practice mindfulness is uh, first to understand the mechanism behind forgiveness. Hmm? Forgiveness, uh, the Buddha talked about forgiveness, not so much, but it appears in the discourses. And uh, Anguttara Nikai, the Buddha talked about the one who forgives is wise. And uh, of course, uh, uh, the reason why we it, we find it very very difficult to forgive and let go of, of hatred is one 
there's the second one, is that actually mindfulness may not be enough alone. Hmm? Mindfulness alone is not enough. When the Buddha taught mindfulness, he taught it in a noble eightfold path. So there's other factors in a noble eightfold path. Because mindfulness is so popular, and most people think that mindfulness is going to be a quick fix. <laughs> so there are so many other teachings around bright mindfulness uh, that c- come in hand that you, you, you need to understand, right? You need to have right understanding. You must have right thoughts. And that's where you need compassion. You in right thought. You need metta, loving kindness. You need also letting go of course, renunciation. And the best renunciation, of course, is to renounce your anger, you know? And then we have also right speech, right action. Then we have uh, right mindfulness and right concentration. And then there's other teaching like forgiveness. Then we have to understand forgiveness is a process. It's about letting go of the emotion, commotion that uh, of feeling the, of being of feeling being hurt or harm. So now uh, there's a book that I think the person asked question that I'd like you to read. It's called Forgiveness for Good. It's by Fred Luxin. And is this a program, ongoing program at the University of Stanford in California? So in this book, this person, I think he's a meditator also. He talks about the reason why you cannot forgive. He gave three reasons. One is taking things too personally. You know, When you take things too personally, it's very difficult to forgive. Then that feeds into another second factor is that uh, blame games, always blaming others, not seeing your, your part in any situation, you know? So always you blame others. You don't say, okay, also I was wrong, you know? Yes, always you, are, you shift the burden and you say others that have done this to me. And then the third factor is kind of a, a vicious circle, you know? Uh, then is what you call uh, uh, g- telling what you call grievance stories, being a victim always in every episode, in every encounter, in every situation, you are the victim, right? So now, so now you can see there's no end to this, right? You, you take things personally, always everything, even if somebody make a comment, which is general, you take it personally. And then you, once you take things personally, then you blame others. You don't say, okay, maybe 50% I will play in this situation. And another 50%, maybe it's another person, you know. So we don't share that responsibility. Always we shift the responsibility to others. And for us, we so we are very right. All the people I, met, I meet in my life, nobody will say, no, I was wrong. Others were right. <laughs> yes. Every time, okay, uh, I was right. Others are wrong, you know. So then that's called blaming others. Then you cannot forgive easily. Then another one is always uh, whenever you tell the story, then there's what called grievance, grievance story. Always you are the one who's grieving, the one who's victim. Others are victors. You're always victim. So now it feeds into the system. You are the victim always. You tell a story as a victim. And then there is what you call taking things too personally. So now once we undo that circle, which I call virtuous circle, whereby we don't, we don't take things too personally. Hmm? I'm not saying uh, having a spiritual bypass. No, no, try not take things too personally in life, you know. 
And then don't always blame others, you know? Don't blame always others. Say, yes, you, you did something, but also it, I play some, some part in this, story, in this situation. And then always when you tell stories, it's always good to share with people you confide with, but it's not always, uh, don't tell always stories whereby you're, you're a victim. Try to, to share your stories, but show courage that you're able to turn the whole issue and become a victor. So now once you do that, you, you, get, you get strength. And now that's when now mindfulness comes. And then you start to be, uh, look at, okay, uh, this person did this to me, but you want to look at my life, your life. Do I want to spend, okay, let's say if you have 20 years, or if you have 50 years, 30 years, you say, okay, a normal person lives maybe up to 80 years or 90 years, even 100, you can't take. For me, I use the Buddha gold standard, Buddha standard, 80 years. So now I'm 54. I ask myself, do I want to live the rest of my 30 years? Is it the math? No, actually less than 30 years. So 26 years. I ask myself, do I want to live the rest of my 26 years very unhappy because somebody did this to me? I said, no, of course. I, the 26 years are less than what I've lived in my life. So I want to forgive, you know, because I have spent, left with a few years. Now then you start with forgiveness practice. And then with mindfulness, you try to practice meta loving kindness. You try to uh, uh, practice compassion. You try to look at right understand that, okay, this being also is suffering. He's also faced by the first noble truth that, that's why it's causing harm to me. So right understanding is also very important because if some people hurt you, maybe they're suffering also because if somebody is not suffering and is very happy, they're not going to hurt you. And even if these people really uh, hurt you, they're going to come to you and say, you know, sorry about this, you know? So now uh, for me, I feel mindfulness helps a lot and I've practiced it myself. In my incidents uh, in Uganda, I have, uh, of course, you know my story, how I was shot at in Uganda here, and the, uh, I overcome that through forgiveness. It works, but you know that is a process, and uh, it needs all other teachings. The Buddha gave not only mindfulness, but the whole Noble Eightfold Path. It, uh, you have to look at also the four Brahma Vihars, having equanimity. You, you reflect on the karma that this person is causing me harm, is actually getting bad karma. Why do I create bad karma also? So there are so many other teachings we can use not only mindfulness. And then mindfulness, of course, can come to remember that, okay, what are the positive spots in this person? For me, I found out that most of the people who really hurt me is people, they have been friends in, at one time in my life. So you need mindfulness to remember that, you know, that they, are not, they have not been bad all the time, you know, in my life. So at one time they're good, now they're bad and then they're harming me. So now that's the reason that is very difficult to let go hatred. And also one other reason what I, I want to tell you that hatred has many layers. What we call it is obsessive level, there is a, which is very gross, whereby you, you act out and they speak. But also there's what you call, um, uh, what you call on another level. Hmm? Uh, there's another level, there's what you call transgression level. Uh, which is actually, sorry, trans transgression level is where you act out, you transgress, in other words, action and, and, uh, and verbal behaviors. You, you either say something to somebody or, be, or hit them by 
by you physically. That's called transgressional behaviors, uh, transgressional layers of the hatred. And then there's another layer, the second layer, which is called obsessive level. You're not acting out, but inside your head is brooding. Hmm? Yes, yeah, it's brooding in your mind. But there's what you call latent level, which is actually dormant level. So now why is it difficult to let go hatred? Because it has those three layers. And the deepest layer is latent level, which is called anusaya. Anu means along, saya means to sleep. So sleeping along, your, your, heart, your hatred is sit, sleeping along there. So waiting for the chance to come out to, to raise its ugly head. So now why is it very difficult to let go hatred? Is because the deepest layer within you there until you attain the third level of enlightenment. Even the first level of enlightenment, you don't, it's still there. Second level of enlightenment is actually kind of attenuated. That hatred is attenu- uh, reduced. You, uh, it's still there, but not in a gross level. Only when you reach the third level of enlightenment, that's when you are going to find it easier to let go hatred because you have removed all the causes and conditions for hatred. And then you are going to find it easier to forgive others because there's no hatred. So before that, take it easy. In other words, bringing all other teachings of Buddha, mindfulness, uh, and the compassion, and everything on board. And then be patient until we achieve the, uh, the third level of enlightenment. Thank you very much for asking this question. My friends, you'll be fine. You don't need to wait until you reach the third level of enlightenment, enlightenment but you can chop, it, uh, chop a little bit slowly by slowly. The more mindful, the more compassionate, the more you can forgive slowly by slowly. Thank you very much for asking. Thank you, Bante. That was an excellent answer. I took a lot of notes. Thank you, Bante. Here's another mm. one. Uh, Bante, mm. I have a question in regards to Vinyuhiti, which the Buddha normally referred to as a wise man. Could you please explain who is Vinyuhiti? Is it a generic term for a wise man? Uh, to it was a person and is it to it, is it a person uh, or an ethnic group called Vinyushi within the community? Is Vinyuhiti part of the Sangha? Thank you. Uh, Vinyuhiti is an epithet that was given to the Buddha. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's an epithet. You know what's the epithet? Uh, I'm not quite sure about that. Epithet. epithet, this is a quality that was given to the Buddha. The quality. Yes, yes. Okay, Okay, thank you, Bante. Uh, Here is another question. Um, Is it possible? Sorry, sorry. All those are epithets of the Buddha. Those kind of things. These are qualities. eh? So, Patipano, Bagavato, Sava, Kasango, Patipano, Bagavato, Sava, Kasango. All those are qualities, qualities of the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. These are qualities. Qualities of the Buddha, qualities of the Dharma, qualities of Sangha. This is in a formula. We, we find it in a formula. Uh, these are formulas, the, all the three, three refugees, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Thank you, Bante. Um... Uh, there's another question. Is it possible for an evil person to attain a good rebirth 
if his last thought moment is a happy thought um, of a happy thought of doing one good deed before he dies it is unfair if he gets to be born in heaven because of one happy thought isn't it it is not fair for a very good person who upholds his precepts to suffer in hell because his last thought is evil before he dies ah uh, you see uh, when you look at it this is a last thought thing is about what you call uh, um, this last thought is called chitta consciousness chitta you know the last thought they talk about last thought if an evil person or uh, like or this kind of uh, like uh, evil person has stealing been stealing and all of a sudden donate money to Uganda Buddhist Center. And now, then that's what you're talking about. And then he, he, he appears in heaven altogether, you know, something like that. You see, uh, when you look at uh, karma, you have to know what, uh, how the karma uh, arise, eh? arise in the present life. The results of karma can, uh, uh, can yield results in this present life. It can yield results hmm, uh, in the future lives, all right? Subsequent life. Hmm, hmm. Then it can yield results in the uh, further lives, right? So there's this present life, there's next life, there's subsequent life, right? So now, uh, if this somebody, let's say, for instance, have done... Uh, 80% bad things, and then towards the it, it get 20% and reborn in heaven, maybe because of 20%. I'm just giving an example that they are there, 20% of good things, uh, then is born right in heaven because of that. I'm just giving, and 80% is still there. So now this person depends on how they can change their behaviors. If they continue to do their behaviors, the 80% of bad things is going to give results in that life. Though he's born in heaven world or whichever rebirth. Hmm? Hmm? So still you are going to get results. So it's, the karma is not about fair or unfair. It's not a word of punishment. It's actually creating the conditions, uh, creating the conditions uh, that actually will bring favorable results. Now it's like uh, when you plant something, and then there's re- based on conditions, something will germinate. Sometimes you have a seed and you put on a rock, it won't germinate because the conditions are not there. Sometimes you have a seed and put in the soil, then uh, then uh, so, so the, so the soil is fertile. The soil is fertile, then the results are going to come, you know when the soil is fertile. So I wouldn't say that this is uh, unfair or fair or whatever, but you, you you really, based on that person's skillful or unskillful behaviors, so that part of good thing he has done to donate, maybe done to, to, to the, to the, to the good cause, for that you will get the results good results. And then if you are done 80%, I'm just giving, 
to get the results based on the, the, the conditions. But of course, you should not take karma as deterministic. Hmm? We should not take uh, determine, this as a de deterministic idea uh, that, okay, if you have been, done 80% bad, next life you will get 18% bad. And if you have done 20, you got 20. No, no, no. It, things can change. Otherwise, there's, there, will, there will be no room to change. Hmm? There will be no room to change. Hmm? So now, since there's room to change, even if somebody has been done, been doing bad things in the past, and uh, on, uh, just towards the, uh, before they die, they do something good and they end up in, in heaven, still the results might come of having done bad things in the past. That's what I'm saying. So it's not a uh, reward or punishment, it's what it is. That's what I would say. Do you, in other words, you cannot get away with anything. Thank you, Bante. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, sorry, 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 sorry. What, what, what else? Uh, there's some question you ask about uh, the Dharma. Hmm? The Dharma. Yes. Sorry. Uh, I, 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 I kind of made this slight mistake. You talked about Vinyuhit eh? as a quality of the Dharma. It's, it's supposed to, what I'm saying, that was a quality of Dharma. Not the Buddha. Sorry, it was the Dharma. Yes, the, the quality of the Dharma to be realized by the wise. Yeah? In other words, for the wise, somebody who's wise, uh, in other words, uh, that's the quality of Dharma. It's the quality of the Dharma and the person who's wise, who's ready to receive the Dharma, in other words. A person who's to be wise by the wise, who's ready to receive the dam, because sometimes who's not wise is always ignoring, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, yes, I meant to be, uh, uh, it's not the epithet of the, the Buddha, it's the epithet of the Dhamma. Mm. Yes. That question you asked. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Bhante. So I, 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 did, I, did, I meant to say Dhamma, not the Buddha. Thank you, Bhante. Uh, mm. The next question is uh, how do we detect and avoid? Popular bad monks who use psychic powers to manipulate our minds with wrong views and finally abuse us physically, mentally and cheat our wealth. I guess it's a question on how to deal with uh, um, monks that are not behaving well. Mm. How to deal with the monks, not only monks, but all beings that behave unwell. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's actually uh, how to deal with the people. Um, uh, for me, uh, uh, I, there's a sutta that uh, talks about self-affacement, but also I want to look at uh, people who are not behaving very well, including the monks. I would say that the way to deal with them is to look at a few things. One is to look at the karma. Hmm? To look at the karma. That, okay, this monk, this person, is creating a very, very bad karma for themselves. right? And they are going to go to an happy destination. right? So then uh, I look at the law of karma. That's how I, I do. Even somebody who did bad things to me in Uganda, uh, the incidents I had in Uganda. So I look at, oh, this person is having, uh, creating bad come out for, for the, 
for this himself or herself, and is going to face a lot of bad results. Right? And then when I do that, then I have compassion towards the, this person. Yeah? I have compassion towards this person. This person. So then their behavior doesn't affect me because the Buddha gave uh, this, uh, the Buddha gave uh, reflection on karma. I'm the owner of my karma, born of my karma, live related my karma, uh, live supported by my karma. Whatever good or bad I do, that would be my karma. So that's, a, that's the reflection you should do, right? Then you reflect on other karma. That, that person or the monk X, Y, or venerable uh, so or so <clears throat> is the owner of their karma, born of their own karma, live related to their karma, live supported by their karma. Whatever good, bad, or they, what, whatever good or bad they do, they will be the hair of their karma. So in other words, when you do such a reflection, then you're actually dealing with the, your stuff, basically. And then you leave that, you, you reflect like this, then you know that, oh, this person is going to reap the results of their karma. So this is affecting me, but not so much deeply on a karmic level, right? And then with that, then I will do, I will have what to call compassion towards this person. Then I will have also equanimity towards this person. Because when somebody like this is raping you off and taking all these things, and of course, it's not um, uh, following the, what the Buddha taught. So now this person, uh, uh, if we don't reflect very well, they, they can affect us emotionally, all right? especially we pious Buddhists. This can affect us, right? Then what will, do, what will happen, uh, we'll have no equanimity, and then we are going to suffer. But when we develop equanimity, when we develop compassion, then we are not suffering because of other people's action, but we have uh, strength to deal with this person. Of course, the another thing you can do is to forgive them because anybody who is doing such a thing is ignorant, is greedy, is full of defilements. That's why they do these things. So forgiveness also come handy. Another, one, another thing you can do is you follow the Buddha's teaching. Avoid evil, do good, and purify the mind. And in other words, mind your business. So, so now, this is what happened, this is what happened uh, for me, I've seen in this world. Uh, when people do things and they're not mindful en enough, you can easily internalize their action. Either it demoralizes you, and you even hate all other monks, and there's, there's good monks. And also, it can hit you so hard. And then you, you, sometimes it can derail you from the Dharma, you know? But for me, if I do something doing very bad, I'll say, other people, uh, there's a sutta you should read. It's called Affessment Sutta. Self-affessment is Majmanikaya. So you can reflect that monk will cheat people, but I'll never cheat somebody. This person, this monk is, is uh, insulting other people. I, I will not do that. Because for me, I see most of the time, you might be pointing out that this monk or this person is doing something, but you have not looked at what you're doing yourself. So when I look at all myself, okay, that ex-person will do this, I'll not do that, I'll do good. 
because uh, that is called internalized situation and then you suffer a lot. So I think that's enough for that question. And I think it's very common not only monks and nuns, it can be human beings and all these things. You do good and they do bad. So the, the, the way to go is to reflect on karma, equanimity, compassion, and then look at yourself. To avoid evil, do good and purify my mind. That's it. That's the Buddha's teaching. Avoid evil, do good, purify the mind. Don't add that teaching. Help that monk. <laughs> no, no, no. Just do that. Avoid evil, do good, purify the mind. That purification of the mind is the one I've talked about forgiveness, compassion, equanimity and uh, assessment that you determine yourself that I'm not going to do the other person is doing. Because it's very common uh, people to do bad things and you join the club. <laughs> you join them unconsciously. <laughs> Consciously, you may not enjoy them, but unconsciously, you're so much terrible about this monks doing this. Uh, then after two days, three days, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> Maybe not so, but I, I've seen people who are traumatized they blame the government. Oh, this government was very bad. They go to the bush, get it award, they fight, they come back, they become presidents, and they do exactly the same thing the bad the, the, the last president was doing. <laughs> That's why I say that I've seen it very common in, in, in countries in Uganda. The, the president fought for six, I think, yeah, six years, and then he was fighting corruption, he was fighting this and this. The first time was good. After that, he's doing the same thing. What I mean, did I mean that that did dictatorship? I was. I spend more time about this question because it's very common to internalize what other people are doing. Thank you, Pastor. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, another question is: Since there is no soul, is it our mind consciousness or karmic energy that is reborn? Is this mind consciousness or karmic energy permanent? My friends, the Buddha talked. This has two elements. And uh, the first thing I have to be very clarified, there's nothing that's in this world that's permanent. Except one, impermanent. Except is, is <laughs> that's the only exception. Impermanence, the only one is permanently permanent. <laughs> but you cannot talk about energy being, being permanent. You cannot talk about consciousness being permanent. No, you cannot talk about that. Right? That's the first thing. You know? That's, uh, so now, uh, with that understanding, the Buddha even talked about this. He said that whether he come to existence or not, whether it comes to existence or not, this is the law, the Dharma. Hmm? Every, every, all conditioned things are impermanent and satisfactoriness and non-self, right? Right? Yes. So, uh, so this is a, something that uh, one has to understand that whether the Tathagata, that's what he, he called himself, he used to call himself Tathagata. Whether the Tathagata come to existence or not, all conditioned things are impermanent and satisfactory and non-self. In other words, you don't need the Buddha to come. That's how things are, right? So now you cannot give an exception, you know, and say energy is permanent. 
<laughs> that will go against Buddha's teaching. <laughs> or even consciousness, you cannot do like this. That's, I think, the last part of the question. But the first part of the question, if there is no self, it's a very, very common question always when it comes. If there is no self, then who's reborn? Is it the energy or consciousness? Is that not the question? Now here we have to really clarify. In my talk, I talked about atadipateya, self-authority, in order to determine what's good. So we have to now to look at the word self itself, what the Buddha said about the word self, you know, before we go into what's no self. Hmm? That's a question normally it comes up, and it comes up because uh, people really don't understand what's the word self from Buddha's teaching, what the Buddha accepted and what he didn't accept, right? So that will, probably this is going to be even the last question actually. So now, uh, this is a Dhamma talk, but I'll brief it, uh, make it brief. You know self, the word self, the Buddha had no problem with the word self, right? Uh, when we use it as, uh, we use it as what we call reflexive sense, reflexive sense, right? We use it in re reflexive sense that, okay, help yourself, myself, you should train yourself, you should be a, a, a light unto yourself. The Buddha used it in a reflexive sense. And that's more of uh, grammar, you know, and to, to daily you talk about it. Buddha had no problem with the word self. Now, the, that's the first usage. You find it all over the sutta. The second usage is uh, uh, as a shorthand device, a shorthand device to represent the five aggregates of clinging, eh? psychophysical phenomena. The what we call the psychophysical phenomena, which means the uh, upadana, panchakanda, hmm? uh, panchakanda, hmm? hmm? the five aggregates of clinging. Uh, then we, we talk about the form, we talk about feelings, we talk about perception, we talk about mental formation and consciousness. Those are the five aggregates of clinging that make up a human being. And then the Buddha didn't want to always say, okay, the five aggregates in Uganda are giving talk to five aggregates in Singapore. It would be so awkward. So the Buddha then say, he said, say, okay, it's okay. Eh? It's okay to say, I, I'm going to give a talk to Singaporeans. I'm I, I. So in other words, that I reference the other self is that there was no problem because that self is a representation of the five aggregates, physical cycle. For just speaking, is this communication. There's no problem. Eh? I, me, I, this kind of thing. So this is a shorthand device to represent the five aggregates. Otherwise, all the time we say five aggregates are talking, five aggregates are going to the shop, five aggregates are sleeping, and all this kind of thing. But that would be very awkward. The Buddha had no problem with that. The Buddha had only the third problem, the third usage of self, is to take a something inside the five aggregates that there's a cartoon somewhere or something, a core that's permanently permanent and that even when you, you drop a bomb or somebody die, somewhere it will come out through the nose or through the mouth and then go to another body and then it transmigrate and all this thing. Buddha had that usage because in Anattalakana Sutta, he went one by one of the five aggregates, talking about is the Buddha, I mean, the body, uh, uh, the feelings and all these things, whether it's permanent or not. 
in Anaklakana Sutta, the discourse on oneself. Then the monks say, no, no, of course, the body and so on is not permanent. And then he talks about whether something is unsatisfactory or non-self. So now what we have to know is that Buddha had that usage of the word self. And it was very common back then in India, what we call, it's called soul theory, soul theory, which was taken to be, at that time they took it to be permanent. They took to be uh, to be uh, like a, something that uh, that will never will always survive. In other words, all right, they took it to be happiness. They took it to be ha- having a core, you know. And the Buddha, what he did is to negate all that through question and answer. Okay, what do you think is what is uh, is the body permanent or permanent? So now, when you look at this question and you understand those three usage of the word self then I think you'll find the answer because the, what the Buddha is talking about is not whether there's, uh, I, you say there's no self. I think that's also an issue because the Buddha didn't want to, uh, Buddha's teaching was not about whether uh, there is existence, non-existence. He was talking about dependent existence, dependent origination, you know. He didn't want to hammer it like that, you know. So now, uh, when, when you talk about if there is no self and what's reborn, really, if you look at what's reborn, is craving, because craving is changing all the time. It is the ignorance, because that's not get, gotten rid of, and that's not something permanent. And it is also the craving, it's the craving, it's the karmic, karmic uh, imprints uh, of the past lives. So all those are not something physical, just like something that believe, was believed in as a soul in Indian philosophy that is core. So the, all these are changing. So in other words, these three things, uh, they come back. Unless it has been resolved, craving has been gotten rid of, delusion has been get, gotten rid of, and then there's no more forming of karma, then, the, then you, actually you attain, you attain arahantship and then you are not getting the five aggregates. So now I'm summarizing it like this. This is what happens. Uh, ignorance kind of put your, put blindfold you like this. This is the work of ignorance. It just puts anything like this on your eyes, spiritual darkness, so that you don't see, all right? That's what the, the ignorance does in our life. And then craving takes us everywhere like this, everywhere we go like this, and that's how the Buddha described it, right? That uh, craving here, there, and all this kind of thing. So craving takes us throughout all our life like this, and of course it's easy to take somebody who's blind, right? And then coming, uh, whatever, whatever karma you have accumulated, and uh, once you, you reach the, the end of this life, so you will just Make karma. Karma is the one who's going to push you into the next life. So you can see those three mental states, so to say, working together. One is blinding you, one taking you from here and there, and also at the moment of rebirth, pushes you, you know. And none of those things are permanent, are changing all the time. Ignorance is changing all the time, and the karma is not stored in, in your nose or in your pocket. It's actually the potential to bring the, the 
valuables, and whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, then there's also the craving that fuels the whole existence from the time immemorial. So that's what I can say. This is a very, what to call, involved question, and I hope it makes sense to you. But uh, uh, the good news is that when you start practicing meditation, uh, you can see for yourself that from time to time, uh, since you wake up time, uh, wake, time, wake up time until you go to bed, uh, your five values are changing all the time without the need for self. They're just changing all the time. Yes. So you don't need, in other words, the self to get a new existence. Uh, the self doesn't have to be there. <laughs> the self as a soul, in other words, doesn't have to be there. We are just five aggregates, roaring, roaring, five aggregates of clinging. And then as long as there's still craving, there's still ignorance, there's still a coming, whatever, we're going to get a new life. And what is passed on is those mental, whatever, craving, karma, coming imprints of the past, and then ignorance and other mental defilements of course that's a summary of it i hope that helps but uh yes beautiful yes the self doesn't have to be involved uh Bante, it's already past uh 8 30 in singapore and uh, 3 30 in your time and uh, we need to do uh, uh sharing our merits and blessings but Bante, uh, we have three more questions are you okay to have three more questions I'm okay. actually i'm okay but the only thing i was worried about you and my, okay. my, my, my teacher, Bante Gunatan, told me never to exceed time. So <laughs> that's why I, I had a cutoff. For, for me, I can go as far as I can go. So you are the one to stop me because it's a three years, it's fine. So yes, another question. Thank you, Bante. Actually, I'm enjoying this too. Okay, the, the next question is, uh, is, it, uh, is it bad karma if our job requires us to kill harmful insects? Please enlighten us. Uh, can we provide blessings to them to lessen our bad karma? Thank you, Bhante. <laughs> yes, actually the thing is about killing, and this is very common to doctors. I think this question is coming from a medical doctor. <laughs> yeah, medical doctor, they do experiments, bees and all these things, for experiment and all these things. Well, uh, if that's your job, uh, basically uh, you have to look at the precepts. The precept of killing have three uh, has five conditions. Hmm? Have five conditions, and when though the Buddha never gave those conditions, but they are given in the in the Buddhist literature. Hmm? But they make a lot of sense. You know, there are five conditions in order killing to happen. So one something must be a living being, real living, not a stone, a living being. Then something must, you must have perception that is a living being, right? Then another factor is that there must be intention to kill, right? There must be intention to kill, right? And then out of those intention to kill, there must be effort to kill, right? Effort to kill. So now, uh, uh, then with those conditions all together, there's a consequence, right? There's consequences. That means something must die, right? Out of your, your perception, out of your intention and the efforts, something really dies. So there are what? Five conditions. What's the first one? Is the object must be alive. The second one is that you perceive that it's a living object. And then, uh, then the third condition that you have intention to kill. Your intention is actually to deprive life, right? And then uh, after your intention, 
then there's effort. You really apply the effort to kill. And then the third one is that the results out, out of that, something really dies. Now, as a doctor or somebody who's asking this question, that's your job, but this question normally comes from medical doctors. So now you ask yourself, are those conditions fulfilled? Yes or no? There's no uh, uh, diplomacy here trying to say, oh, no, 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 I was just saving its life. Uh, this is called master killing. I put it to sleep because out of compassion. No, no, no. This precept is not like that. <laughs> so no, it was suffering a lot. Then I, 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 I put it to sleep. No, no, no. So now you kill, after reviewing all those five conditions, you really see that actually you killed, right? Especially intention plays a big role. That's, that's chetana, which is intention. Uh, you kill something. Now, how do we mitigate it? How do we lessen this? Is there, can we lessen this? Well, <laughs> this is your job. <laughs> this is your job. That's how you earn a living. So the Buddha gave a general, a general uh, approach whenever we do something unskillful. Right? Whenever we encroach on the precept, we, there are four ways how to go. Right? There are four, four ways how to go. One is to acknowledge that you've done something unskillful. You've done something bad. Not denial. Oh, you know, because I'm a doctor, I have to do this. No, no, no. You really admit, according to your Buddhist principles, you say, I admit that I've done something unskillful. Then, admit or acknowledge, that's A. Then the second step is determination not to do the same thing again. Right? You determine it. The Pali word is called aditana. Determination not to do the same thing again and again and again and again. That's the second step. The third step is called amending. Not ending, but amending according to Dharma. This might mean to take the precept again. Panati pata padam samadhyam either in front of the Buddha, then you retake the precept, right? So you amend according to Dharma, you can ask for forgiveness, you can actually do something, really actually to repair that, amends, right? Then the third, the, the fourth stage is actually do good, right? Do good, be good. <laughs> that means avoid evil, do good and purify the mind. Now you can actually do all, all those kind of things in doing good, Send merits and uh, wishing whatever you killed a better life. I think that's doing good. <laughs> but doesn't mean that you want to get the consequences of having killed. That's what I want to say. You'll get the consequences of having killed and you get consequences of having been compassionate and uh, determining not to do the same thing again and also doing what's good, taking the precept. That's what you can do. Because whether it's an insect or whatever animal is killing, there's no doubt about it. So at the end of life or end of the day, in life we are going to do what's unwholesome and what's wholesome, right? And then maybe uh, uh, later on you can find out how you can uh, uh, go to another sect, another section of your medical job whereby it is reduces or eliminates those experiments that caused harm to, yes. But we do our best to, to really make sure that 
we keep the precept and not kill, right? But if it's our job, then we try slowly by slowly how we move into an area whereby you are not the one who's killing. Maybe another person is killing, but you, you might be the one who do something else to the insect. <laughs> Maybe for, provide accommodation for the insect. That's your job. Then another person who doesn't keep those five precepts is the one who does the, the, the whatever. It's up to you, but at least what I wanted to tell you is that there's no way how you are saying that it's because my job, uh, I'm going to keep on killing for the, the sake of my livelihood. But I'm saying that there's still something that the Buddha said whenever we encroach on the, on the precept. Does that make sense? Yes, Bhante. It does. It does. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Another question mm -hmm. is, when one gains merits, who counts and keeps the record for us? Ha! That's a very, very... I love that, this question. And I'm not surprised. <laughs> Especially when we come to people who are as bookkeeping, people like accounting, they keep the books. <laughs> money coming in and going and this is a scientific world i mean these merits where are they in? who's keeping all these records there's nobody keeping those records actually you know uh a good counter question or a very good question to think about is uh when we plant mangoes and i can draw it, this answer from the uh, the king melinda you know king melinda uh, nagasena hmm? King Mirinda and, and Nagasena, where uh, was asked, uh, King Mirinda asked, when you, 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 you about the, whether the karma is kept, right? The, kept in some way. The Buddha, the, the, then Brahma Nagasena answered like this, that when you plant mangoes, hmm? you plant mangoes expecting mangoes, isn't it? Now, when you plant mangoes, uh, I don't know what you plant in Singapore. <laughs> uh, durian. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, no. So you plant durian, and then within two months, the, you plant, the plant is there. But there's no durian. Where is the durian? Is the durian is in the roots? Is durian in a stem? Is it in the branches? Is the durian in, in, in the leaves? <laughs> so the question is durian after plant durian. <laughs> <laughs> so now the same thing when we, we do good things merit, the word, another word for merit punya, is actually happiness right? so when we do uh, the, and, uh, this kind of merits, we, we don't store them in our wardrobe you know? we create conditions for the future happiness right? so we plant the seed you know? it's like planting the seed you know? the fruits will come because also best causes and conditions you know? So since you cannot see durian in a plant, but you know for yourself that at one stage, eh, durian will fr make fruits and you share with your family and send some to Uganda. So because you know that, that's why you plant durian. But if you don't know that durian will come, you want to plant durian. So the thing that, where that where after maybe five years, I don't know actually the, the duration of my uh, durians, but after a certain time, you will see durian, the young one coming, coming out growing, ripening, and then you get durian fr fruit. <laughs> but when it's young, you cannot see where it's kept. It's not in the stem, it's not the sap, it's not in the leaves, it's not in the roots, you know? So the same thing in merits like that. You do something meritorious, you plant a seed there, and then 
uh, conditions come just like durian, watering, sunshine, this kind. So those conditions come nurturing what you, the durian, what you've done. Hmm? And then whatever you've done has a potential to bring results. The word potential is very, very important, right? Is potential, yeah. So uh, suffice it to mention, uh, our merits are not kept in a nose, not in a mouth, not in a heart. It's kept in a mind, heart, mind, right? And that's not anywhere in the nails, but it's everywhere creating those conditions in the mind, right? So that when the results come, you are able to reap the happiness, right? The happiness. You see, we are living in a material world whereby we think all things are physical, you know? That's a very scientific question, right? Everything is physical, we should measure, we should keep. That's a, I, this kind of question comes from a paradigm of a physical world, right? Spiritual world, I'm telling you, is more than that. Even when, as we are talking now, now you hear my voice? How does it travel all the way from here to Singapore? Is it having a stopover in Dubai and then it continues in physically? No. <laughs> so the, the sound waves create potential for another sound wave to come, another sound wave, and that's why you're hearing me now. I mean, if a human being can do that, right? What about a spiritual action that also creates those uh, potentials to bring results? I think that's what I can say for that question. I think it's answered more in, in analogy. If somebody understands the analogy, then we cannot be preoccupied where the merits are kept. They're just there, conditions. You've created conditions just like the, you, you created the potency in the seed. You know, It has potential. You just put more water and more soil and more temperatures. It just keep on growing. Thank you. But I, I don't want to take a physical that melts like a seed. Uh, you think that actually they are physical like a seed. I just want to really put the two together and you find out, okay, the results of our marriage are not kept anywhere in, in a particular place, but they're all over, just like durians in, in every tree, all over. You cannot say it's in the roots, it's in the stem, it's in the leaves. All right, another one. Thank you, Pante. I, I, I just have to ask this one. Have you eaten a durian? I, I just have to ask this. I've eaten a durian, but uh, I'm not, and uh, I don't eat it a lot. I eat it sparingly. <laughs> I eat a durian. Uh, when I live in the USA, the people give durian. Brother Jerry also bought durian for me. Well, brother Jerry. Eh? Brother Jerry Ong. Yeah, bought some when I was in Singapore. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm in the middle there. I don't, I don't like too much. I don't hate too much. No, I'm just in the middle, the middle. <laughs> I just eat a little bit of it. I like it actually, but not too much. I'm not, uh, yeah, moderation. I like it in moderation, in other words. Thank you, Bante. We, we will remember that next time you come to Singapore. Bante, <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, while doing a good deed, one may feel unwilling to do it. Uh, what should one do to remove Sorry? that? Uh, while doing a good deed, one may feel unwilling to do it. So how should we get rid of the unwilling feeling to do a good deed? Uh, to be a good Buddhist, does it mean one should not be feeling like or dislike or willing or unwilling? As a good Buddhist, I think we should have the willingness 
And that willingness comes through cultivation every day, you know? Yeah, every day you have to cultivate it so that it becomes almost second to nature, you know, to do good things. So for me, I would, uh, if you have some unwillingness uh, to do good things, eh, make it a habit every morning, you wake up and then you make a determination, set up the day. For me, every day when I wake up, I say, I'm, I'm, I got this from His Honest the Dalam actually, every day I wake up, I reflect this, it doesn't, since, to, since 20, to, 2000, I've been reflecting on this like this, as soon as I wake up, I'm grateful to be alive, I'm awake, I'm healthy, I'm alive, mm-hmm. I'm not going to waste my life, mm-hmm. thinking about greed, hatred, delusion, and fear. I'm going to use all the energy of my life. I'm going to use all the energy of my life to cultivate generosity, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, understanding, and courage. And I practice meditation and attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, including myself. I'm going to forgive myself for whatever I did, knowing a through body speech mind, knowingly and unknowingly. I'm going to forgive others whether they said sorry or not. I'm going to be kind and benefit others as much as I can. That one I do every day before I go to brush my teeth, then I actually do what you call that reflection to set up the stage for the day. So once you set up the stage for the day, then it's going to be easier as you go through the day. You know? As you go through the day, you remember what you determine. It's called aditana, aditana, determination. Because uh, in, the, in, in life, there are so many things. You have to take kids to school. You have to do this. You have to do this, this project. Uh, and also, I can see also myself as a mom getting caught in some projects here, you know, like uh, building co- projects, this and that, you have to always to deal with builders, this and that. So there's so many things as soon as you wake up, the project is in your head. Oh, I have to do this. Like today, they are actually casting the, the, the foundation of our uh, the building here that we are building now. So now it's easy as soon as you wake up, you think about the project. But for me, as soon as now I remind myself, as soon as I wake up, I'm going to think about this the reflection I've told you. So now once you do that, then this becomes a reminder because your mind is still fresh. Eh? You have not really gone through the day. Your mind is still fresh. You have just woken up. Then you make that determination. Then it sticks in your mind. Uh, so actually, once it sticks in the mind, then you take every opportunity throughout the day eh? to see what good you can do. Because you have already said, I'm going to use all my life hmm? to cultivate generosity, loving kindness, compassion, and wisdom. I'm, I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to waste my life eh? thinking about greed, hatred, delusion. In other words, akusala, right? So now once you make this determination, uh, what I've seen in my life is that you always get some triggers, right? But uh, uh, something triggering you to, uh, to do something which is not good, which is uh, against your values, but you're going to remember. And so,
a brain surgery. Mindfulness is not difficult. What's difficult is to remember to be mindful. Are we together on this? What's difficult is to remember to be mindful. Mindfulness is not difficult. It's very easy. But why are we not mindful? So mindfulness is not difficult. What's difficult is to remember to be mindful. <laughs> and the Pali word for that is to remember, you know. <laughs> so now even good things are not difficult to do, but to remember to do them. And that's why you need reminders. Next thing you can do is to have spiritual friends. That's why the Buddha said that the whole spiritual, the whole spiritual friend is the holy life. Because once you have spiritual life in your, I mean spiritual friends in your life, they, they are going to remind you, okay, let's go and listen to a Dharma talk. Let's give. Let's do, there's a good cause, you know. So you, you actually can influence others, you know. You can influence others to give out of wisdom, not to give out of peer pressure or not to give out of ignorance, you know. People ask, oh, why are you giving? Why are you doing something good? Or oh, because another person is doing? Uh, but because uh, I, I don't know why I'm doing good things. <laughs> but I do it okay out of understanding that this brings good results. So now the last thing is the connection between good things and happiness. Most people have not yet connected those two things, good things and the happiness we, de- we derive from it, you know. So once we are mindful of that connection that, okay, whatever good things we do, we feel more happy, then you're always going to go to remember because you know for yourself when I do something, when I give, I feel more happy. And when I share merits with others, then they join me in rejoicing my good deeds and all this kind of thing. So I think having a network, what the, what the Buddha talked about, having spiritual friendship, can help you to have that resistance of, 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 of to do good. I don't know whether I'm answering that question, but I think that's what I'm trying to arrive at, that you, you could make a determination every day to do good things so that if there's any, any hesitance, hesitance in during the day, it is, you are going to remember actually, so this is my values, that's what I'm determined to do. I've determined to do good, you know, so I think I should do it, you know. And then good friends can remind you, and then uh, another thing is really to really always remember that whenever you do good things, it will bring more happiness. The more you do, the more happiness you get. And I think this is what I would offer for this question. Does it help? Yes, Bante. Yes, okay. indeed. And, uh, and mm-hmm. also to go to the UBC or the Buddhist Fellowship, a lot of good things. We need a lot of help. Okay, uh, Bante, last question is, uh, mm. Bante, what is your advice for people who identify as uh, LGBT, so um, gays and lesbians, who aspire to be a Buddhist monastic? Yes. Those people, actually, I teach them a lot. Uh, I teach them in USA, uh, in California. Uh, they should go to, uh, uh, to first understand Buddha's teaching. In Buddha's teaching, the precept is, uh, the third precept hmm, is about, uh, especially Theravada. When you want to be in a Theravada tradition, it shouldn't be a problem. The five precepts. The third one is Kamesumi Chacharawiraman Sikaparam Samadhyam. This combination, it can be hetero and the, uh, homo. Uh, it, it's about uh, really uh, 
make sure that you actually don't commit sexual misconduct, right? So in other words, we found out that our precept doesn't uh, say that, okay, this LGB, I mean, I cannot repeat, but in the USA, we call it alphabet. Alphabet, because those letters keep on going. LGBT, P, what? They keep on increasing. A and all this. To, to make it shorter, I mean, to help uh, for us uh, who are not good at memorizing these letters, we can say the alphabet. Because alphabet, there are 26. Uh, it started with the four, but now it has increased. I think there are six already. There's I, there's Q now, there's A and LGBQAI and all these things. So anyway, the story is like this in Buddhism. First, this person should understand Buddha's teaching, Theravada teaching, that doesn't discriminate people of their base. So first, they have to become Buddhist first. <laughs> first, they have to do what? Become Buddhist and understand what the Buddha taught. Right? that it doesn't discriminate their sexual orientation. Now, if they want to become monastics, which level of monastics? They want to become novice monk, they take those precepts. They can become monastic. They want to go to become a higher ordination. Uh, there's no rule I know in the monk's life which talks about that, okay, you should not ordain when you are LGBT or whatever. From my understanding, what we have is that you must not have dates. You should be a human being. <laughs> you should not have reprocess. You should not. It doesn't talk about sexual orientation in those rules that requires to then as a monk you must be twenty years. They should look at that list. Actually, it's a long list of uh, the requirement when you ordain. What you should a person who have dates they should not ordain. A person who have reprocess and all these things, they should ordain. I think because of the time of the Buddha, I think this could bring contamination to others, right? Yes. There are so many rules there. You should be familiar with them. But for me, uh, I don't see any blockage for somebody to become a monastic. Uh, for your information, I know a monastic who is from that whatever, but is no longer doing it like this. But for confidential purposes, I don't want to mentioned the name, but I know a monastic who are from that background in their past life. In their past life, they have been in that kind of group. So there's one, and I think uh, he should proceed this person with somebody who has a more open mind, a monk who has a more open mind, uh, because it could be a personal issue uh, in different countries. Monks are different. Uh, but a, 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 a monk who is a more Western mind, uh, or who can really sort out things clearly without many bias, I think it should be no problem. But as far as Buddha's teaching, I don't see any, any bar, something that preventing you. But traditionally, you can go to a country whereby the, this is a, being discriminated, you know. You can go maybe to a country like maybe any country, they, it can be their culture that they discriminate person. And then you will not be able to ordain. Not only from that sexual orientation, but also uh, in USA, there's a monastery. You cannot ordain when you're over 50 years. I think if I remember very well, 50 or 45. And the reason is not about discrimination, about the age. It's because actually they found out once you're at that age, then it's got to be an expense for the monastery about health, about this. There's some monastery that say, okay, now you have to spend two years before you ordain. 
for different reasons. That's why I say that uh, if you try it, you should be able to try with those facts ahead that uh, in them in his mind or her mind that actually these are the rules before you become a mom. According to my understanding, there's no uh, segregation, uh, but segregation might come when you go to country and that's the overall culture or tradition in that culture. They, they, they don't accept somebody from that sexual orientation. But the more open culture and the more open monk can show the list and say, well, for me, according to Buddha, you are good to go. Maybe you can do that. <laughs> anyway, that's what I can say. Who am I to judge? But uh, th that's what it is. Thank you, Bhante. So please go to the UBC. Everybody is welcome indeed. Um, and also in the Buddhist fellowship, anybody is welcome. Do come. So Bhante, that's all for the questions. I want to thank you so much for helping us, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you very much from all of us at the Buddhist Fellowship and all of us listening here in Singapore. May we wish Bhante a long life, good health and happiness, and may Bhante zoom on to greater heights. We hope to see you in Singapore soon. So now, uh, can we invite Bhante to lead us in sharing merit and may we have blessings, please? Thank you, Bhante. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Sister Kim. And uh, uh, I miss Singapore. I don't know when they open the country and I come to Singapore. Yes. <laughs> so uh, again, uh, let me share the merits of uh, what you've done. Listen to Dhamma talk is actually meritorious. And giving Dhamma talk is meritorious, right? Let's uh, share merit by put, uh, remembering these words. Punyatam anmodita chiram lakantu so kasasana akasata jabumata devana gama idika punyatam anmodita chiram lakantu desana akasata jabumata devana gama idika punyatam anmodita chiram lakantu mampara eta watajakame isampadam punya sampana sabbe deva anmodantu sabba sampati sitiya Eta wata chakamehi sampadam punya sampadam sabbe putta anumodan tu sabba sampati siddhiya. Eta wata chakamehi sampadam punya sampadam sabbe satta anumodan tu sabba sampati siddhiya. Imina punya kamena mame bala samagamo satam samagamo hotu yavani banata. Sabidio Ivajantu, Sabarogo, Vinasatu, Mate, Vantantara, Yoski, Diga, Ipo, Baba, Abivadana, Sirisa, Nicha, Buddha, Pajai, No Chataro, Dama, Wantante, Ayuano, Sukambala, Bawat, Sabamangara, Kantu, Sabadevata, Sababudan, Bavena, Sadan, Sotiva, Wantuteva, Wat, Sabamangara, Rakantu Sabadevata, Sabadaman Bavena, Sadaso Tiva, one to day, or to Sabamangara, Rakantu Sabadevata, Sabasangan Bavin, Sadaso Tiva, one to day. You say, Ida mena tina hotu, Sukita hotu nyatayo, Ida mena tina hotu, Sukita hotu nyatayo, Ida mena tina hotu, Sukita hotu nyatayo. Itame natinam hotu sukita hotu nyatayo.
idame nyatina hotu sukita hotu nyatayo idame nyatina hotu sukita hotu nyatayo sadu 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 thank you bante that was really fantastic thank you you're, you're welcome and we hope okay. to see you in uganda as well we hope to go to uganda as well well i'm waiting for you in uganda and see the lion and elephant and then there's one <laughs> the rudy always thinks about uganda is only chimpanzee but there's more to uganda than chimpanzee so i missed you this time actually about this time i think you uh, yes you, you are supposed to come in june and we had all prepared everything for you here the accommodation everything so i hope that 2021 that can come and without any covid and then you, you come to uganda and you, uh, you see our culture here thank you bante and looking forward to it except uh, we didn't see any rhinos behind you so hopefully we can <laughs> in uganda <laughs> okay okay thank you be well may you may you be well up and peaceful may you be well and happy and peaceful bante thank you so much okay thank okay you. welcome bye 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 yes, and uh, um, and we're going to offer our listeners now uh, some announcements for the coming weeks. So on the 26th of July, uh, our next Sunday service. Uh, okay, so on the 26th of July, our next Sunday service, we are honored to have Dr. Ng Yuan Yen. She will be giving us a talk on the Mahaparinibbana Sutta on the last days of the Buddha. Uh, it's a very majestic and moving sutta indeed, so definitely something to look forward to. Note that Dr. Ng is here in Singapore. She's not in Uganda, so please tune in at the right moment at 11 a.m. That's next Sunday. Next Saturday, on the 25th of July, we continue with our highly anticipated special Saturday series with Sister Sylvia Bay. This will be at 3 p.m. Um, on Saturday, and the topic is the Bojanga, so the seven factors of enlightenment. It is not possible to attain enlightenment without the seven factors of enlightenment, so I invite everyone to tune in to find out what this is all about. And that's it for announcements, and uh, we want to apologize if there's any drop in the um, broadcast. It could be due to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Wi-Fi system, so I apologize again. Um, and uh, thank you to Pante uh, Buddha Rakita again, and thank you to Buddhist Fellowship for hosting this talk. And if anybody wants to donate, please do go to the UBC website or inquire at the BF office. Thank you so much. May all be well and happy, including all frontline workers, and we all stay safe and hope to see you again next Saturday. Thank you very much.